Blog Talk Radio. And I Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by an education grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. David Barringer. Dr. Barringer is a postdoctoral scholar with Erica Forbes at the University of Pittsburgh. He studies how risk factors for psychopathology, particularly early life stress and genetic risk, influence brain development. His work has so far focused on brain structure and reward processing with an emphasis on better understanding the neurobiology of substance use and depression. He completed his PhD in neuroscience at Washington University in St. Louis, where he worked with Dr. Ryan Bogdan and Dr. Deanna Barch. His dissertation was on the use of neurobiomarkers to disentangle the cause of a downstream consequence of alcohol use. In his postdoc, he has been studying how early life trauma and environmental stress influence adolescent development and reward processing and its relationship to depression. So we are very excited to have um, David on the show with us today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Barringer. Are you there? Hello? I hope we didn't lose him. Dr. Varinger, are you there? Huh. We may have lost connection. He was coming in very clear. Let's see if I can reboot up his mic and see. David, are you there? Hello? I don't know what is going on. We may be having a glitch, and we may have to bring him back on the show. So I am actually going to do announcements real quick to see if I can get him back on the show. I don't know. We had a great connection prior to going live, and um, now we have lost it. So. Um, I'm going to do a couple announcements that I would do at the end of the show typically um, to see if uh, we can have him come back on the show and call back in. Um, So to let everyone know, we did um, launch a second holiday program. Um, So we did our first holiday program in November, and and then we uh, have relaunched a new one 
uh, last week. So that is actually getting ready to close off. We've actually, our, our holiday programs have filled up um, within uh, about a week, all of them. So the first program has been completely spun off and um, is full. And the second one is um, uh, almost full. So to let you guys know about that one, the JHD program um, um, oh, let me see here. He's calling right back in. Um, sorry, guys, for this. This is like a first, I think, where we've stayed live. And um, let's see here if I could bring him back in. And then the JHD program, just so I could finish the announcements before he comes back on, the JHD program, we have partnered with Meg's Foundation, um, Meg's Fight for a Cure. And all of them have um, been sent off um, to all of our kiddos that have applied. Um, you guys should be looking uh, looking in the mail for those, for the families that have been approved for that program. And um, another quick announcement is that we have just actually locked in a Sacramento uh, hype. So it'll be our first hype day of our 2020 education series at Health for HD. And um, it'll be taking place on March 14th. Um, and that is on the Delta King, which is a ship, which will be very interesting. We have made sure it's completely ADA compliant. Um, and it will be on a ship um, here in Old Sacramento, California. March 14th from 10 a.m. Um, until um, 4 p.m. Um, and then um, we will have a night fundraising event that well that um, as well. Um, and uh, so you guys, that's going to be kind of separate. Um, I don't know what is happening. Um, but yeah, so that will be, and the night event will be taking place from 5.30 to 8.30. So, and that will be a fundraising event that will benefit completely um, UC Davis um, uh, of California. It's all proceeds raised from that. Um, so I think that is our only announcement. I've covered the holiday programs, hype. Um, of course, symposium will be in Atlanta. And then the other days, that we are going to do hype, the other places, I'm sorry, is Michigan and Nebraska. So definitely stay tuned for, um, for those dates, those actual dates to be announced. We have the places, we just haven't finished locking in the venues yet um, to make sure that happens. I may have to cut off the show. He looks like he is not able to come in and I don't know why because everything was going fine prior to this. Let me just try one more time to bring him in and if we can't, we may have to reschedule the show, um, which is really unfortunate because this is a really good show talking about um, substance abuse and alcohol. Um, on brain development. So let me see here. Let me get one more time. Let's see if he can pull in. Um, let's see. And if he can't, we will reschedule the show. I promise for as soon. I know we're live. So I will 
have to probably do a pre-record if I can't pull him into the show. Um, let's see here. I am going to play a song real quick if you guys want to hold tight, and I will try to call him to see if I can bring him in through my phone. Everybody's got a Huntington gene Sitting on chromosome number four But one in 20,000 Have a mutation that we can't ignore That may not sound like very many But if it's you the news might knock you on the floor And I See me moving in a way that don't make sense. Or I might not want to talk with you because my depression's so intense. When it starts hitting me from all sides like that, wait, I carry. Jimmy, but uh, <coughs> my HD's acting up today. Or, no, sir, officer, I am not drunk. I suffer from a genetic progressive neurodegenerative disease causing gradual deterioration of movement, cognitive function, emotional control, blurring the social boundaries, and inherited an autosomal dominant pattern. Are we good? We've got excuses, folks. Can't resist. 
Okay, I think I have David with us. David, are you there? I'm here, yes. Yay, I'm so sorry about the technical difficulties. Sometimes using um, these kind of platforms, they have glitches, so I'm so sorry, but you are here through my phone now, so hopefully I don't have any glitches on my, my phone now, and the platform works with us. <laughs> Good. So, so um, can you please start just by telling us why you chose, I, in the introduction I talked about, uh, your, your kind of a little bit of your background. So mm-hmm. can you tell us kind of why you chose to get involved in this type of research? Um, sure. So, you know, I, you mean like your kind of substance use research, I suppose? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, as most of these things go, it was largely an accident. Um, at first, you know, I was a young graduate student, you know, um, interested in actually genetics um, and how genes affect brain development. Um, and a colleague of mine, uh, who is on a co-author on the paper um, that we'll be talking about later, um, you know, suggested to me that substance use could be an interesting direction to go, that there was a lot of good work going on there, that it was a you know, useful field to move into, um, and a, kind of a, a thing we could study that could be um, know, easily and measured in, um, you know, large samples, which is a thing that's really important for genetic research. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's honestly how it started. I mean, I think that's how a lot of scientists get interested in their specific areas is um, chance, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> sure, sure. And I mean, yeah, and it's really interesting because the neuroscience field with substance must I mean it just goes together, right? Um, for for not only one population but everyone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, every. I mean, that's something that I think makes substance use so interesting is that um, it's a, you know, something that all of us encounter at some point during our lives. You know, um, so I think the potential to have a really broad impact um, is very uh, attractive. You know, mm-hmm. as a scientist. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So um, today we're going to be talking about an article, which, uh, which came first, brain size or drinking propicinity, which is about your research, um, convergent evidence for predispos- predispositional effects of brain gray matter volume on alcohol consumption. So how did this research come about and can you tell us more about it? Sure. Um, so I think um, you know, being interested in um, genes, you know, I'm interested in kind of understanding human brain development and understanding, um, you know, what influences our brain development with an eye towards, you know, the onset of um, mental health conditions that are really burdensome, you know, things like depression and substance use. Um, and in the substance use literature, you know, we've, you know, we've known, you know, for ages since you know the 1800s, that there are conditions that are associated with alcoholism that um, are, are associated with um, brain damage. So things like um, Wernicke's encephalopathy, which is actually a nutritional deficiency that um, is sometimes caused by alcoholism, um, that causes the brain to shrink. And so we've known for a long time that alcohol might be really damaging the brain. Um, but we don't actually know whether kind of the amount of alcohol that I 
for to consume, or maybe, you know, many of your listeners consume kind of the moderate alcohol level consumption, whether that is actually, um, whether that's actually bad for your brain or not. Um, it's so normative, you know, and it's legal, we might think, well, it must be safe, um, but there might also, and there is concern that maybe it isn't actually that good for us. Uh, maybe it's not that good for our brain. Uh, and it struck me that this is actually a, um, a testable question, a thing that you could ask and maybe try to get an answer to. So that's, that's kind of what started the genesis of this project. Yeah. And so what, so what did the study entail? I mean, how do you even measure this? How, yeah. But, yeah. It, well, it's really hard. You know, so it's definitely, you know, if you, you know, the paper you'll see has um, a fairly long list of co-authors of other scientists who helped with the research. Um, and certainly this sort of project is not something that any lone scientist would ever be able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was really fortunate to have a large number of these collaborators who have, you know, data available that they were very happy to share with me, to let me look at mm-hmm. and analyze because, you know, I certainly, it would, you know, the, the, the data used in a project probably represents several million dollars worth of research um, data acquisition. Um, we might have is, you know, is alcohol consumption associated with the brain being smaller anywhere? Mm-hmm. And so we used, you know, two, two samples, so two groups of people, one group of college students, one group of young adults, um, both quite large, you know, in the thousands of people. Um, and in both groups, we found a couple parts of the brain where um, alcohol use is associated, you know, associated meaning um, correlated. I don't know if that, if that word is familiar to you or your listeners um, with having a smaller brain. So we don't know. But they go together hand in hand, um, but we don't really know which comes first. And mm-hmm. we see them just, they just kind of go side by side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Um, so that was the first step was we, we, we made this observation two samples. It's an observation that um, other groups have also made. Um, but it was really reassuring to be able to make it again. That gives us confidence that the thing we're um, kind of probing and asking questions about uh, is a real thing. You know, I should emphasize it's a small, it's a small thing. You know, we need thousands of people to even see it. So it isn't like a large, it's not like the difference in height between men and women. You know, it's right. which, which is a huge effect. You know, you right. can right. have 10 people and observe that. Sure. This, sure. You need thousands of people to observe the one we're talking about today. Um, right. So, yeah, so we, um, we, we made this observation. And, you know, I wanted to know, um, is there any evidence that, you know, I mentioned that correlations or associations don't tell you anything about what is causing what. They don't tell you anything about direction. You just know that two things are kind of moving along together. Um, so I was kind of curious, you know, can we, can we do something um, that would give us a sense of which direction, you know, what might be causing what? Is there mm-hmm. any? Um, and so, you know, in humans, um, we can't just tell somebody, okay, in the next 10 years, you're going to drink two Budweiser's a week. You know, and at the end of those 10 years, we're going to measure your brain and see what it looks like. You know, that would be highly unethical. 
right? Right. Um, we can do that in mice. Um, we can't do that in humans. So if we have a question about humans, we have to make, we have to use other kind of, um, kind of clever ways of analyzing our data. Sure. So one, one clever thing that people figured out a long time ago is that twins are kind of these naturally occurring um, experiments because they grew up in the same environment. They mm-hmm. have largely the same genetics. So, so all of these things that, that scientists were worried about are really similar between twins. And so then we can ask, okay, well, we take one twin who happens to drink a lot and their, their, their co-twin you know, doesn't drink a lot. You know, so if their brains are different, you know, that might tell us that alcohol is having an effect on their brain because all these are the things that I'm concerned about, the environment, the parenting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the urine environment, the genetics, they're all very similar between these two people. Right. Um, but instead, what we found was that their brains don't differ. You know, even though they're drinking very different amounts of alcohol in their life, their brains don't differ. You know, so that gives us a hint that what actually is happening is that there is a third variable, a third thing that is causing this association between the brain and alcohol. And that third thing is their genetics. That hmm. these twins have a, um, a similar brain structure, brain volume, because their genetics are similar. Right. Um, does, that, does that kind of follow? Yeah. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, so this was just kind of like the first, I don't know, the first foray. And then the rest of the paper is asking, you know, if I look at other data sets, you know, does that follow? You know, does that make sense? Does this hypothesis, this guess about what's driving this relationship hold up in other, if I analyze other data sets. So in one data set, a, you know, another study this of teens who are at risk for depression in New mm-hmm. Mexico, and they were followed in what's called a longitudinal study. So they were followed over five or six mm-hmm. years. Yep. Their brains were scanned when they were younger, before they had used alcohol, and we looked at when they started to drink alcohol as kind of young adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that their brain structure, before they had tasted alcohol, predicted the age at which they first had their first full drink. Oh, how interesting. You know, so, again, a very small effect. But that's consistent with this interpretation that the, there are genetic factors that are guiding both brain development and alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, How interesting. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to, I was thinking like in, in, in like a, um, a group of people that are more prone to depression uh, for environmental and for, um, and for like, let's say environmental factors or genetic factors. I guess environmental wouldn't really work as much as like a genetic factor um, you'd find that the brain would be, I, that's, that's so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the depression correlation with the alcohol use, you know, um, mm-hmm. with the brain size and how that, 
how that all comes together. Um, the mm. depression, you know, um, it's just it's interesting to me that the brain was massive smaller. Um, right, that a, a smaller brain volume was brain volume. Sorry, with, yes. Yeah, was yes. associated with uh, alcohol use, and yeah. uh, alcohol use is associated with depression as well. Yeah. When there's some evidence yeah. that depression is associated with differences in brain structure, absolutely. I think I think a lot of these things probably move hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and get, you know, uh, as we say, exponentially, you know, complicated, really complicated, really fast. Um, mm-hmm. We try and move, pull all the different variables together. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's, I, I don't know if you're asking whether brain structure might be, have a similar relationship with depression. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I was just kind of curious, especially like with, with Huntington's, the reason why I was just kind of we the the brain volume mass it goes down right mm-hmm. um, the brain structure it, it it will start to deplete it'll start to go down so I'm wondering if that's interesting I I'd just be curious if like if there was like a a long study done if the brain as the brain mass or volume is shrinking if you're more prone to use a substance. Mm, I just wouldn't, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, it would be something like, because, you know, Huntington's is kind of unique in that fact, right, um, that you're going right. to the brain volume and brain mass is that, you know, um, for a study of something like that, someone that may be born, I don't know this because I'm not a scientist, if someone that kind of just holds their same brain volume throughout their lifetime, is that true? Or do we lose or gain brain volume throughout the mm-hmm. course of our life? Well, the brain changes throughout sure. the lifespan. Sure. Um, I would say the rule of thumb is that most things shrink. Shrink. Okay. Yeah. That's um, the, um, so the brain kind of the two main pieces of the brains are what we call the gray matter and the white matter. So the mm-hmm. gray mm-hmm. matter, I'm sure you're familiar, is where all the cells are that deal with the communicating and talking and computations and thinking. Mm-hmm. And the white matter is all the electric, electrical wires, you know, connecting mm-hmm. them, you know, white because they're coated in fat. Um, which is really great insulation. Um, and so there's some evidence you know, maybe that the white matter increases a little bit and the gray matter decreases a little bit as people age, um, but definitely mm-hmm. decrease overall across the lifespan for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I know everything like with aging, all the, all the you know, aging process is very slow typically. And when you deal with a, with a disease like HD that, that really um, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very measurable fast, decrease right yeah. um mm-hmm. in the brain um volume and mass I, i'm just curious if that would make um our population our community more susceptible to a substance abuse i mean it's it's so hard with environmental factors right knowing your terminal right. knowing you're going to deal with a terminal disease that has a lot of it's going to totally change your whole life um yeah. you know obviously that is going to make you more prone to substance abuse possibly right um, right. and of course, but uh, part of me wonders if there's another part to that um, that has to do with sure. the brain going down. Oh. I think it'd be an yeah, interesting I, study, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you're, you're, um, you know, I think you're, what comes next, right? So I yeah, think yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is exactly it, um, because the thing that my study can't say is whether the brain is part of the mechanism by which genetic risk affects alcohol use. 
you know. Um, and I think, and so you're kind of asking that question. So is it the fact that the brain is developing differently? Is that why people with these genetic risk factors go on to use more alcohol? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. And I think that is, um, right, that's a great question. And that's something we're hoping to do. You know, there are some really um, powerful new studies that have kind of just gotten off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. One is called, the acronym is ABCD, the Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development Study. Um, it's a study of about 10,000 adolescents across the United States, and mm-hmm. they're being followed from age nine until their teens. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be able to see, you know, are people who have different trajectories to different, like, courses of brain development and early in life, does that predict, you know, how much they use alcohol or substance or engage in risky behaviors or are mm-hmm. prone to other sorts of, um, kind of impulsive like behaviors later in life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, are those right. things? Yeah. And that's something we're really hoping that we'll be able to get a handle on um, mm-hmm. with these kind of long-term samples where we're following the same people you know, sure. over the course of many years. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, it's so interesting. So many people are doing brain development. Um, I mean, University of Iowa is, is one of our big ones for um, um, that's doing long um, studies on brain mm-hmm. development in children that are at risk for HD. So, um, they, and it, it's been going on for years and years. I mean, they, they have the NIH, they've funded the first study. And, oh, and I mean, sure, this is yeah. a long, long time that they have been studying um, brain development through using MRIs and brain imaging um, mm-hmm. of, of adolescents and uh, children that are at risk um, and even pediatric yeah. living. So it'd be interesting to see with all of their, um, if you guys ever someday team up uh, because, man, they have all that uh, Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's a really rich resource, yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful, yeah, I mean, what they've done um, to, to help, help. But, you know, and the, the interesting thing is, you know, as we, as we go on and we, we get these gene therapies and, and these different things, that, you know, we're going to need to target brain development and what that means. But for this specific study, I see that this is really, like, important for family understanding and a family dynamic. Um, you know, when you're living with a, a disease like HD and, 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 diseases that confuse the family, right? Why are there changes? Why is my loved one using more substance? Why is my loved one more depressed? Why, you know, it's, it's the, the, the movement stuff you can understand, right? And then the, the, the behaviors and the cognitive impairment is harder for families to understand and to hold that family unit together, especially if that, that um, behavior becomes very, like you were saying, risky and trying on the family. Mm-hmm. So to kind of have more answers on why this behavior may possibly be happening, and it may be something that is, in fact, um, part of the disease process because of the brain, um, it may help uh, uh, families have maybe a little more empathy and understanding to why their loved one is doing this. They're not doing mm-hmm. it to be defiant. They're not doing it to ruin, quote, unquote, your life, right? Like right. understanding yeah. these, these things that happen within a disease is so important uh, for the family dynamic. So I oh, think yeah. a study like this is so important if we find in the future that, that a lot of it has to do with the brain, like what you're, you're, you guys are researching, I think is, is really important um, for family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad to hear other people agree with us on that. Absolutely. Thank, yeah. 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 
So, well, do you have any final thoughts? This has been a great show, and it's very, I'm, I, um, man, it's very, it's, it's, it's answered. I mean, it hasn't answered questions, but it's really made me think because of our, um, uh, our community um, having uh, so many families having trouble with substance abuse um, and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, making me really think about um, what does that mean? Um, totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I think yeah, I, I would emphasize, I would just probably emphasize something that I mentioned in passing before, which is, you know, that, you know, a lot of these findings with studies like mine, um, give mm-hmm. us an insight into the brain and how the brain, you know, mm-hmm. might be affecting behavior. Um, mm-hmm. They're all really small effects. Um, so it's a little, it's a little nugget of insight. Sure. It, that's you know that's what it is. It's a little nugget, and you know, there's so much more work to be done before we mm-hmm. can really have a full picture of what's happening. Yeah, but it's exciting that the work has started to be done because we, we wouldn't even have heard about this years ago, right? It is mental health, uh, depression, substance abuse, all this stuff. This has not been focused on until recently more in the science world. Mm-hmm. So I, I think just this may be the, it's the start to something that we need. Um, so that's exciting. Definitely. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David, so much for coming on the show with us today. Thank and you. Please keep in touch, and we'll stay tuned and follow um, follow this our community. This is this is very um, interesting for sure for us to watch closely. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I did my announcements at the beginning of the show, so I think we can wrap the show. Sorry so much about the technical uh, difficulties, David, and to our our listeners. Sometimes when we use technology to communicate, sometimes that happens. But um, in the end, it was a great show, so that's all that matters. So um, to everyone, uh, tune in next week, same time, same place. And everyone, have a safe week. Thank you so much, David. Thank you.